Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. What is a semi-fascist? Listen, I think that um, when we let's not get caught up in 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 politicizing the fact that most people in America know that it is not helpful to our country when we have people who are denying elections or trying to obstruct the outcome of an election where the largest number of people in our country voted for the president of the United States. And um, when we look at where we are, I think that we have to admit that there are um, attacks from within, to your first question, and we need to take it seriously. And, and we need to stand up together, all of us, and, and think of this not through partisan lens, but as Americans. I, I think back to the president's inaugural address, mm -hmm. and he said the following, politics need not be a raging fire destroying everything in its path. Mm -hmm. And then I think about the construction, the language construction he used with semi-fascist. And I understand the dilemma. So you got to call it out in order to bring the country together. But it's hard to do both at the same time, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. I mean, let's talk about our president for a moment. Joe Biden has spent his entire career, it is on for all to see, working across the aisle, his whole career. Sometimes he's been criticized for believing in bipartisanship, for believing in compromise, for believing in working across the aisle, finding common ground. His whole career has been that. But there are moments in time when we have to also agree, all good people who care about our country, that there are those who right now are vividly not defending right. our democracy. And I think we want that our commander-in-chief, the President of the United States, will speak up and raise the alarm about what this means to our strength and our future, much less our integrity. I'm curious, when you see the Democratic Party and some parts of the party funding ads to promote some of these election deniers in primaries, whether it's Michigan, the high-profile race there, Illinois, Colorado, New Hampshire, it looks like a cynical, you know, a little bit cynical. And the president went out of his way to say there, there are good Republicans here. Should you leave the good Republicans alone in a primary? Should, is, the, is the Democratic Party making a mistake here by, by you know, those people could. Final topic here, since uh, we're here in Texas, I want to ask you about the border. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do is the first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure. 
but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. We also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan for a pathway for citizenship for the millions of people who are here and are prepared to do what is legally required to gain citizenship. We don't have that in place because people are playing politics in a state like this and in Congress on, by the way, you want to talk about bipartisanship on an issue that at one time was a bipartisan issue, both in terms of Republican Senate. Hey, uh, Gene Robinson, it, it does seem as, as you look at the news that breaks every day that um, you know, everybody was looking closely at, at what was going on in, in South Florida with a special master, with, with this very, well, let's just say, uh, very creative uh, ruling by the federal judge down there, the district court judge down there. Uh, and, and while they were doing that, uh, the DOJ uh, had been been moving in this completely new area. And you suddenly yeah. you realize if you're Donald Trump, uh, there are, you know, there are so many legal fronts uh, that right. he's going to fight. All the things we've been seeing him do through the years and ask, why is he above the law? Why mm -hmm. is no one holding him accountable for doing things that would have other members of Congress or senators thrown in jail in like a week's time? <laughs> what? All of it seems to be coming together right now, and his misdeeds seem to be catching up to him all at once. Uh, they do. It all, all these investigations move kind of slowly, but they're clearly creeping uh, toward the former president. Uh, he, he's under investigation um, in, in Atlanta, um, which is a very serious investigation. He's under investigation in New York, um, uh, civil violations. I've asked this question to swing voters all over the country. Some of them are Democrats, some are independents, and they've all said the same answer. They all think he's too old to run again. Well, the key issue will be whether or not um, them thinking President Biden is too old outweighs them thinking that the that the future of our democracy is on the line. Right. Um, and when I talk to voters, they are even if even Democrats who say, you know, Biden, he's a little slower. He's a little bit quieter. I'm not sure if I want to back him. When they think about the state of our democracy, they're like, well, that's the bigger issue here in our NBC poll. We, we saw people say that the, the, the sort of threats to democracy are their number one thing, even above cost of living. So I think if you're a Democrat, even if you're Joe Biden looking at this and saying, okay, I understand people think maybe I should be a little bit more lively. You're still thinking they say they use the words unrecognizable distrust and that they, it should be some compromise. Those are words that I think are probably worse for Republicans, especially when you think of while we might have a minority of Republicans who don't believe um, that 2020 was was fair. They're the people with the loudest voices, right? They're the people who are still winning the elections. That's where the candidates are. And I think that that to me is probably signaling that. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 14th of September, year of our Lord, 2022, episode 624. Our intro there is how the media protect idiots. That woman's a fucking idiot. But you didn't see any pushback. 
She just got there, got up there and got to lying and carrying on and democracy. Then we, you know, we end with Yacinda with the fucking uh, democracy is more important. Democracy. Well, what is democracy? It doesn't appear that we have the same definitions of democracy anymore. We just really don't. We have lies and more lies and more lies. I mean, do we remember Trump? Do people still remember? Because this sink bump I'm going to do right now, my God, if this was Trump, fuck me. It's frustrating, it's inconvenient, and it's bad for the environment, and there's simply no reason for it. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. This is who we are. This is not, this is not what we should be doing. And I want to thank all of you, the cancer patients, survivors, caregivers, and don't jump from up there, okay? And all, uh, for all the leaders of science. It's been good for the country, but I believe Republicans could have and should have joined us on this bill as well. After all, this bill cut costs for families, helped reduce inflation at the kitchen table, because that's what they look at, how much of their monthly bills and how much do they have to pay out for their necessities. Think about what you'd think about at the time. Think about how you'd feel if you didn't have the insurance and didn't have the money. It's wrong. It's not who we are. And we're going to say to some of my colleagues who have been around a long, how long we've been fighting pharma, how long we've been taking on these interests. From the time I got to the Senate 720 years ago. <laughs> I'm serious. Think about it. So I thank the Republicans who stood up. Okay, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting Big Pharma for decades. Um, but there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people in the crowd. Yeah. Over a billion, two hundred million dollars to reshape this nation's, uh, uh, this nation's infrastructure. The Chips and Science Act and the PACT Act for veterans and their families. In fact, I think it's fair to say we've achieved more bipartisan agreement in these nearly two years in my presidency than anyone thought was even remotely possible when I entered office. So I thank the Republicans who stood up. 
Okay, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting Big Pharma for decades. Um, but there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people in the crowd. Yeah, this is the day on which the White House celebrates the Inflation Reduction Act when we get a new report that shows that inflation is still especially high. And what we're seeing on Wall Street is a reaction to that anticipating what's coming from the Fed, the decision that will come on whether to increase, well, likely they will increase, but by how much the uh, interest rates, another half point or three quarters of a point. Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger, fairer, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. All right, back to the blog line. <laughs> administration, which largely just tried to build a wall, an ineffective wall, uh, along the border and couldn't even finish that in four years, uh, were certainly uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. That's it. I'm going to just take one last. He threw a party to talk about his Inflation Reduction Act, which was a climate bill, and the media even bragged it was a climate bill. On a day that the Dow Jones tanked 1,200 points and the CPI came out, and we're just fucked. We're 100% fucked. Unequivocally fucked in the ass sideways with a broom handle. Everything's more expensive. This motherfucker right here, headed to Delaware at 177 an hour on Air Force One to vote. Instead of absenteeing. And we go back here. Uh, we're going to talk about this today. Where's the... I guess I didn't get it. I didn't get a speech one. I'll get it later. By two to one, people do not like his speech. They thought it was divisive. Two to one. You think the media is covering that? Do you think anybody in the meeting is covering it? Because I bet you plum nickel they're not. Two to one. His rhetoric is divisive. I used to do a segment called Stats of the Day. These are good ones. Less likely to support candidate that backed Biden's student debt scam. Right now, it's proven unequivocally that last year, the only people who made more money were people with bachelor's degrees. Their wages went up. Everybody else's wages went down. We're getting all sorts of interesting polls, and they won't even cover it. And what it's showing is two American index democracy deniers. It's showing that, let's be honest, both parties now, after all this shenanigans that have gone on, don't trust elections. And while he's throwing a party saying everything's okie-dokie, artichokey, one in six Americans behind on their utility bills. They can't pay their bills. I'm one of them. I'm about to have a fucking camper repoed. I can't pay it. 
two years ago, when I lived off my pension and disability, I could pay that $125 bill. I can't pay it anymore, thanks to Biden. I don't have the money. We're definitely on a fixed income. We have so much income after paying our two cars and our house and our utilities, which have gone up to $300. Our electricity is 250 fucking bucks a month, regardless. doesn't matter what we do because of their regulations. Two years ago, my electricity bill was $160, friends. $160. Now it's $250. With the internet, that puts us at $300. Every month, regardless of what we do. One-third of Democrat college-educated women believe that men can have babies. That says a lot. Americans spent more on taxes last year than on food, health care, education, and clothing combined. Because that is an organization that's being honest. With your local taxes and your sales tax and all the other tax, that's what you pay the most for. But this is what WAPO rolled out. WAPO rolled out that it's all okie-dokie, autochoki. There's nothing to see here. Nothing. Everybody feels great. I missed one slide, which is just fantastic. So let me pause for a second. There it is. While he was doing his little thing that CNN actually cut away. That was the last sound bite you saw. Here's our number. Source to 8.3. Groceries prices up 13.5. Core consumer prices rose by $6.03. Real... A- or 6.3%, excuse me. Real average hourly earnings fell 2.8. 17 months in a row that Biden has fucking inflation. It's on everything, boys and girls. It's just not on... The best one I can give you, I eat fruit cocktail every day since I've had this illness. It used to be 90 cents a can. Now it's $1.50. A can. If the generic is in, it's $1.30 at Kroger, but it's rarely in. I got it for a dollar at Walmart the other day. I grabbed the last six cans. That's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. He has ruined everything. And the rhetoric... Gives you sound bites like this. I'm going to play a 9-11 from The View, and I'm going to play this guy named Han. Why would you vote for a Republican? A true sense of national unity. To me, that's the greatest lesson of September 11. So the question is, has that lesson been lost? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on. People 
united. We're going to honor 9-11. One of the ways to do it is to realize that in there are times when there should be no politics and it should be about being an American. Well, yeah. I think, Anna, yeah. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head in the sense that we came together as a country because it was a foreign adversary. Yeah. That is why I think it, it, it was an act of foreign terrorism. And so we felt like, how dare you come to our country and harm us? The biggest threat to our country today, says the FBI's director, is white supremacy and domestic terrorism. Merrick Garland said the biggest threat to our democracy is white supremacy and domestic terrorism. How do you come together when it's homegrown terror? The, and, and we have never addressed why there is that issue that remains in this country 400 years later. And until we get to that, until we have accountability, we are not, I don't think, ever going to be able to come uh, close to what we saw. You know, there are so many political experts and pundits who claim that the Republicans are just gonna sweep the midterms this year. It's all gonna go Republican and we're overestimating the Democratic wave, whatever. Here's my question. In light of the fact that Republicans killed Roe versus Wade, killed Roe v. Wade, killed a woman's right to choose, a woman's right to have autonomy over her own body. And let's be clear, gentlemen, a man's contribution to the reproductive process lasts maybe six seconds. The women do the work. This is their house. And I find it particularly amusing, depressing, sad, and pathetic that men think that they have a, like, you know, that they should weigh in here. Here's how the abortion convention should go. It should be a nine month long convention and men get to talk for six seconds at the very beginning. That's it. And then you get to shut the fuck up. So Republicans took away abortion. They're coming for the gays, the LGBTQ community. Here's what they would like from me. They would like people like me to shut up. They would like me in conversion therapy. They would like me to pretend to be straight, get a wife, maybe have some kids, and then have a little secret thing on the side. Don't tell anyone. And by the way, don't kid yourself. Grinder blows up in every city that hosts the RNC when the RNC is happening. The other thing they would love is for me to be hanging from a tree and then toss me into a mass grave with all the other graves. That's what Republicans want. So when people say Republicans are gonna sweep the midterms, why the fuck would anybody want that? Why would you vote Republican? I don't give a shit what it means to your taxes. They want Handmaid's Tale. They're going for Gilead here. And there are people in my life, people who claim to love me and care about me and women saying, well, George, we're just gonna vote Republican because of our taxes. Fuck you. Republicans are gonna sweep the midterms. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Again, maybe they will. But let me ask you, in light of everything they're about and what they wanna do, why the fuck would you go that way? Are you crazy? What is wrong with you? Jesus. Yeah, that's not unity. And that guy's a jackhole, but that's, that's what we have. You see here, New York Times didn't even have it on its fucking cover. We didn't even cover 9-11. I mean, why would we? It's all about Trump. This is a representative in our fucking Congress who added the numbers 
for the fucking terrorists in. That that's that's what we have. People literally are electing people like that. And on 9-11, when we should be looking back at all the people we've lost and the sacrifices, especially in our military, I'm going to play a soundbite that I, I never thought I'd hear. But this is our federal government. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security was formed in the wake of the September 11th attacks. How has it evolved since then to safeguard the U.S. from foreign threats? The um, Jonathan, the threat landscape has evolved considerably over the last 20 years. You know, back when 9-11 occurred in those in those years, we were very focused on the foreign terrorists, the individual who sought to do us severe harm to enter the United States and and do us harm. It then evolved. We began uh, to be more and more concerned about the individual already resident in the United States, radicalized by a foreign terrorist ideology. Now um, we are seeing an emerging threat, of course, over the last several years of the domestic violent extremist, the individual here in the United States radicalized to violence by a foreign terrorist ideology, but also an ideology of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives propagated on online platforms, even personal grievances. Violent crime is on the minds of a lot of Americans right now and top of mind for police chiefs and sheriffs who constantly tell me that the rising rate of gang and gun violence is one of their most important and difficult challenges. So I'd like to tell you about some of the work we've been doing with our local partners in over 300 FBI task forces around the country. This summer, across the nation, the FBI and our partners arrested nearly 6,000 violent criminals. That's an average of 50 violent criminals a day every day. In the process, we seized more than 2,700 guns from those criminals. We executed takedowns that put a huge dent in 845 gangs and violent criminal enterprises. And we completely dismantled 105 of those criminal enterprises, arresting their leadership and seizing their assets. I believe the FBI's most sacred duty is to ensure people can live free from fear in their own homes and neighborhoods. To that end, we dedicate agents, analysts, and technical resources across the country to work with state and local law enforcement on these operations. A few recent examples. Over the course of just one day in August, our offices in Little Rock, Dallas, and Knoxville each conducted operations targeting local street gangs, groups responsible for committing violence and trafficking drugs in communities throughout those three. The enemy is you. That's who the enemy is. That was on September 11th, 21 years after it happened. That's what they think of you. And while this was going on, here's our, what his job is. Here's our southern border.
¿Dónde eres? I'm here in front of Union Station, the main train and bus station here in Washington, D.C. And the Washington, D.C. Mayor Mariel Bowser says that over 9,000 migrants have been bused through here this summer alone, sent from Texas and Arizona. Texas has also sent other migrants to New York and Chicago. And Mayor Bowser and other leaders in these Democratic cities just blasting these Republican governors in Texas and Arizona, arguing that they're using people, using these migrants as political pawns. Once again... Good morning, America. It, it It isn't about what's happening. That, that's a real video from the border. It, it's about you. You're the problem. Because you made them, for the first fucking time, feel the pain. Now, there is some pushback. Um... I'm going to play Greg Gutfeld on what he said, and it pretty much sums anybody who's not a prog. DHS secretary is echoing that sentiment while at ground zero. The threat landscape has evolved considerably over the last 20 years. We are seeing an emerging threat, of course, over the last several years of the domestic violent extremist, an ideology of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives propagated on online platforms, even personal grievances. You know, uh, Dana, I, w- I, had a, I was going to talk about the polling, but I didn't even see that. Yeah. That is a government official basically taking a crap on 9-11. Yeah. He, basically, he basically marginalized the memories of those people by equating it to some kind of political agenda. It's absolutely disgusting. He did it there on, at Ground Zero, and it wasn't even that he was asked about it. He wanted to make that point, and so he said, then let me add that what the, the concern is on, he went to domestic terrorists. And that's what I think you'll see all of the Democrats do. Look, Kamala Harris did it yesterday on Meet the Press as well. So you have all of that happening. In the meantime, you've got terrorists, the actual terrorists. Uh, they don't, they're not on our timeline. Yeah. They're super patient, right? They vow to destroy us, and they regroup. But we have done a great job, I think, as a country in a bipartisan way, supporting the military and our intelligence officials in order to keep al-Qaeda on its back foot. That is a bipartisan achievement. It's something that we can all agree on. If I were Mayorkas, I would have said, even if the White House had said, we need you to make this point, I would have said, not today. Mm-hmm. I, the last point I would make is yesterday at the end of the U.S. Open in which a Norwegian was playing a Spaniard, at the end, they both get to make comments. What's the first thing that Casper Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz talked about? This solemn day, this important day, this emotional day. And thank you for letting me share it with you. I have you in my thoughts and prayers. I'm sorry for what happened to you. Like, that was their instinct. And then you have somebody like the, <laughs> the Homeland Security Secretary mm-hmm. at Ground Zero saying that, which was, um, it's beyond disappointing, um, but also not as surprising. But it's not just him. This is a guy running for Congress. His name is Tim Ryan. Listen to the words... He says the Democrats aren't right on everything. And I'm willing to sit down and have conversations about how we can move out of this age of stupidity and into an age of reconciliation and reform. How do we fix all of these broken systems? Some of those answers will come from Republicans, not not the extremists that we're dealing with every single day. We've got to kill and confront that movement. We need to kill and confront that movement. 
So you have the DHS secretary saying you're the threat. You have a Democrat up here counting the terrorists, and you got another Democrat saying they need to kill Mega. Kill Mega. Simultaneously, I'm going to play them together because there's somebody that actually pushes back. We have credit card companies who are going to track and start turning down gun purchases in our country. A total invasion of personal security. Uh, some big news over the weekend. Visa, MasterCard, and American Express will now officially begin tracking gun shops with a new merchant code. It's a victory for gun control advocates who've been pressing the financial sector to do more to help curb gun violence. Previously, gun shops were mostly categorized as specialty retailers. It was a really a generic term uh, that meant that uh, you could be selling tents or uh, sneakers and uh, the credit card companies and the banks didn't know. The card companies say they will work to support lawful purchases and protect consumer privacy. So that yeah, corporate America responds to the market and the market says they want this. And I believe in markets. I'm not a socialist, Scott, you may be, but this is what the market- <laughs> You can wants. respond to that. And it okay, responds Scott. better okay. than the political market because they have things in the politics like the Supreme Court and the filibuster rule, your friend Mitch McConnell abuses all the time. They, they have the Oof. imbalance of representation in the Senate. So political markets are, are right now dysfunctional. Thank God economic markets are not. Then that's all they're doing is just trying to maximize profit. If Paul keeps saying out loud he's not a socialist, they're not going to let him into the, they're not going to let him into the next Democrat National Convention. That's number one. Number two, here's the deal. To me, this is this is the new left wing way to get things done. The reason the government is not doing it is because the people who want this can't convince the Congress that is to do nonsense. it. Nonsense. And let me the re Congress is dysfunctional. No, 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 you talk. Let me talk. Okay. You can't convince the Congress to pay off student debt. Go, oh, you're, go you're convince Joe Biden to break the law. You get mad about what the Supreme Court is or is going to do, go right out in front of their house. Here, this is the new way to do it. The politics yeah. of intimidation and bullying, and now they've bullied these credit <laughs> card companies into doing this, and all we're going to end up doing is fighting about what is a suspicious purchase? Yes. And they're going to end up inundating police okay. police precincts with okay. thousands right. of pages right, of people like me who went to the I gun spent, range to I shoot his my, 38. I, I, it is like some banana Republican shit. And that's all within a fucking day. It just doesn't stop. It just doesn't. It. it I, I can't even fucking believe what a fucking police state these people are it is unconscionable i mean all of that would have been remember this was the media when hillary got found literally breaking the law could some of the boxes recovered from the former president have put national security and perhaps lives at risk? This is as bad as it gets. It really does send, send chills up the spine of anybody who's ever worked at CIA. When you have this kind of information, you guard them with your life. I don't think it's a big legal problem. The American people don't care about this. I have been utterly bored with the story. There's going to be a cloud of suspicion, though, by those who just want to see conspiracy. There's, it's, there's almost no way she can clear this up to the satisfaction of critics on the other, uh, the other side in terms of the politics of this. It's not even a scandal. It's really it's controversy. The scandal's the Republicans' word for it. At this point, it's all just background noise. There is, in some ways, no there there. And voters don't seem to care about it, according to polls. 147 FBI. 
FBI agents are focused on this? I mean, don't they have other problems? Exactly. There's no crime in the country they should be worrying about. <laughs> so how is she going to overcome these distractions? Some people, as you know, Errol, had feared that this would be this never-ending fishing expedition. When does the email issue go away for uh, Hillary? The question is whether this will ever go away. Are we ever going to get out of this cycle? Is she ever going to get out of this cycle? <laughs> it just feels like a swirling sort of process story mm -hmm. that is of more interest to the media and people who already dislike Hillary Clinton. In the kangaroo courts of uh, right-wing talk radio, they have already convicted her. How big a deal is this really? I was in an event last night and both Democrats and Republicans were quoting Bernie Sanders saying, They completely protected her! But we're getting to this. I mean, do you remember during BLM, people put BLM signs so they wouldn't get attacked? Do you remember after Trump got elected and the media was so hot that they cannot put her in jail? They can't do any investigations? I mean, I don't like this guy at all. I stopped watching him years ago because he's just fucking kind of annoying. But there are 30 different investigations going on for Trump. Here's Hannity listing them. As we speak, Democrats are trying to dehumanize and vilify, quote, those evil, rascally MAGA Republicans and Donald Trump supporters in order to rally their base. According to Biden and other Democrats, half of America is now a threat to democracy simply because they now support or once supported Donald Trump. So instead of trying to fix the economy or dare talk about it or the border or the fentanyl, fentanyl or opioid crisis or the crime crisis, Democrats have been wasting almost all of their time and billions of your tax dollars with one investigation after investigation into all things Donald Trump. And this has been going on now for years. First, it was the Russia hoax. Then it was Comey's crossfire hurricane, Mueller's witch hunt, the emoluments clause investigation from the House Oversight committee, a House Ways and Means investigation into Trump's taxes, another House investigation into Trump's hotel lease, another House investigation into foreign gift disclosures, a D.C. probe into Trump's inauguration fundraising, another similar investigation from the Southern District of New York and the Eastern District of New York and from New Jersey's Attorney General, one impeachment investigation into a regular phone call with Ukraine, a second impeachment investigation into January 6th, yet another House committee investigation into January 6th. That is still ongoing with more hearings to come. And then there's the Southern District of New York's investigation into pardons, a DOJ probe into Trump's political action committee, another House investigation into the Trump administration's security clearance process, other investigations into Trump's property valuations, and of course, his social media, Truth Social, the Trump Foundation, as well as a variety of other tax investigations, and of course, the National Archives investigation that led to the Mar-a-Lago go raid. You got all that? We'll ask you at the end of the show if you remember. After all of this, Trump has not been charged with any crime whatsoever, and they're trying hard, but there's been nothing. That's because the partisan Democrats in charge of all of these witch hunts, they're not investigating crimes. They're investigating a person in a blatant attempt to smear, slander, destroy him and destroy his supporters. It's the old Soviet Union saying, show me the man, I'll find you a crime. Except they haven't actually found a crime yet, so I guess they'll make that up too. So do It's nonstop. It just doesn't end. None of it ends. They just keep going and going and going and going. It is like a fucking police state. So they're so pissed off about Tucker. And they're always talking about Tucker. But tell me anything in this monologue he did from two days ago is wrong. We live 
where they've taken the whole intel and law enforcement and foreign policy and they've inverted it in on you because you don't believe dudes with dicks can have babies. Welcome to Tucker Carlson's and happy Monday. Yesterday marked the 21st anniversary of 9-11. That was, as you know, the single deadliest terror attack in all recorded history. If you're over 30, you did not need to be reminded. You remember it vividly. 9-11 changed America completely and changed it forever. Nothing has been the same here since, especially the relationship between Americans and their government. A decade ago, the New York Times admitted this. The Times marked the anniversary of 9-11 by publishing a piece on the rise of domestic surveillance abuses, which exploded after the 9-11 attacks. The Patriot Act, according to the New York Times, quote, quickly became a sort of shorthand for government abuse and overreaching, which, quote, inflicted collateral damage on political dissent, religious liberty, and the freedom of association, end quote. That is still true, in fact, truer than it's ever been, and it is still a tragedy. What's fascinating is that the New York Times has stopped acknowledging it. In fact, remarkably, there was not a single mention of the 9-11 anniversary on the front page of yesterday's paper, the paper that purports to represent New York, the epicenter of the 9-11 attacks. Now, why would the New York Times ignore 9-11? Well, good question because the New York Times and the tiny leadership class it panders to, and in fact represents, now wholeheartedly endorses the nationwide crackdown on civil liberties that 9-11 made possible. And why wouldn't they endorse it? They're benefiting from it. It's how they keep power. So for them, in retrospect, 9-11 was less a tragedy than it was an opportunity. And if you don't believe that, watch how Joe Biden, the president of the United States, commemorated that anniversary yesterday. It's not enough to gather and remember each September 11th, those we lost more than two decades ago. Because on this day, it is not about the past, it's about the future. We have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility to defend, preserve, and protect our democracy. It's not about the past, it's about the future. This was in a speech that was supposed to mark the anniversary of the deaths of thousands of Americans at the hands of foreign adversaries. So when Joe Biden speaks about the future, you should listen, the future of what? Don't focus on the dead, focus on what I want to do. Okay, but what is it that Joe Biden wants to do? Fight Islamic terrorism? No, protect democracy. But what exactly is this democracy that Joe Biden speaks of? Why won't he define it ever? And how exactly is that democracy imperiled? These are pivotal questions. And for answers, we're going to turn to the source. That would be Chuck Todd of NBC News, who in practice is a slightly more articulate version of Biden publicist Karine Jean-Pierre. If you want to know what the Biden administration is really thinking, listen to the guy with the comb over in the anchor chair at NBC. Here is his exchange with Kamala Harris, the sitting vice president, yesterday. Not quite 20 years after 9-11, the Capitol came under attack from domestic terrorists. I began by asking the vice president about how over two decades, our focus has had to shift from foreign terror to the threat from within. I think it is very dangerous and I think it is very harmful and it makes us weaker. So you look at everything from 
the fact that there are 11 people right now running for Secretary of State, the keepers of the integrity of the voting system of their state, who are election deniers. You've got... And what's that sending? What message does that send to the world? Well, you couple that with people who hold some of the highest elected offices in our country who, who refuse to condemn an insurrection on January 6th. So you're slack-jawed watching something like this. Did I just see that? And I'm quoting, I began by asking the vice president about how over two decades our focus has had to shift from foreign terror to the threat within. The threat within? What does that mean? What the hell are you talking about, you freaking lunatic? There is no group of Americans anywhere in the United States half as dangerous as the 9-11 hijackers. To suggest otherwise is literally insane. Drawing a parallel between the election justice protest of January 6th and the fall of the Twin Towers? True lunacy. But Kamala Harris didn't even pause, almost like the whole question was a setup. She just nodded. This unspecified internal threat, she confirmed, is in fact just like Al-Qaeda. Quote, very dangerous and very harmful. You may be wondering at this point, what is this threat? Since we've just declared a new war on terror, but against whom? Who is this threat? Well, of course, it's you and anyone else in the way of the Biden administration. And especially, as the vice president just said, and you saw it, anyone who questions the legitimacy of the last election. But wait a second, you ask, didn't Kamala Harris herself call the 2016 presidential election illegitimate? Your memory's not failing. Yes, she did. And so did every leader of the Democratic Party. And they will say the same to this day. And yet she is telling us, the sitting vice president, that anyone who questions the 2020 election should be in jail. Watch. What is a semi-fascist? Listen, I think that um, when we let's not get caught up in in in, in politicizing the fact that most people in America know that it is not helpful to our country when we have people who are denying elections or trying to obstruct the outcome of an election where the largest number of people in our country voted for the president of the United States. And um, when we look at where we are, I think that we have to admit that there are um, attacks from within to your first question, and we need to take it seriously. So again, that's the sitting vice president who they tell us over and over, and you just heard her say it, received more votes than any vice president in history. And if you don't believe that, and there are reasons not to believe that, if you don't believe that, you're like Muhammad Atta. Your beliefs are acts of terror. You're comparable to a mass murderer and you need to be pursued by law enforcement. They're saying that. She just said the greatest threat to our country is that Republicans might be elected to statewide office in 11 states. That's comparable to 9-11. Is no one noticing this? The Biden administration's message, and of course, as it always is, completely consistent across the board, on 9-11, on the anniversary of 9-11, was that any American who disapproves of Joe Biden's performance is a terrorist. Here's the DHS secretary, Mayorkas.
The threat landscape has evolved considerably over the last 20 years. We are seeing an emerging threat, of course, over the last several years of the domestic violent extremist. The individual here in the United States radicalized to violence by a foreign terrorist ideology, but also an ideology of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives propagated on online platforms, even personal grievances. Is no one paying attention to this? Does no one see this happening? That's the DHS secretary saying that opinions he doesn't agree with expressed online, which most of us thought were constitutionally protected. In fact, we thought that was the whole reason we lived here. That's why this is a different nation from, say, Iran. But the fact that people have different political opinions, including about the last election. Stacey Abrams has spent the last five years saying she's the rightful governor of Georgia. We think she's a lunatic. We also believe that view is constitutionally protected. There's the DHS secretary saying, those people are Al-Qaeda. This is terrifying. And it's not just words. They're acting. And they're acting at scale. It was just a few weeks ago, on Thursday, September 1st, two months before the midterm elections, not an incidental fact, that Joe Biden declared his political opponents enemies of the state. You remember it. Here's a clip. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. We're all called by duty and conscience to confront extremists who put their own pursuit of power above all else. Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving American democracy than MAGA Republicans are to destroying American democracy. So the upside of having a senile president is that no one takes him very seriously. And so it's possible for the rest of us to see something like that, a declaration of war on an entire political party in a two-party system, which would leave this, if we were to follow his urging, a one-party state. It's very easy to dismiss that as the ramblings of a man who has no idea what he's saying. And a lot of people did. And yet, the very next day, the morning after Joe Biden delivered that speech, at 8.30 a.m., a woman called Lisa Gallagher was sick in bed at her home in suburban New Jersey. Her daughter came upstairs and told her that the FBI was waiting outside. Now, Lisa Gallagher is not a criminal, never has been. She is an active Trump supporter, particularly on Facebook. She had a Trump lawn on her flag. She's a patriotic American. She describes herself as a rule follower. She's never once been in trouble with the law at any level. And she had nothing whatsoever to do with January 6th. And yet outside her door were three FBI agents with guns. Quote, we got an anonymous tip. You were at the Capitol on January 6th. That's what they said. Gallagher was terrified. Quote, I thought they were going to take me out of here in handcuffs, she told the show this morning. Ultimately, her husband came home and the two of them showed the FBI agents her daily calendars from January of 2021 and finally convinced the agents that she was not at the Capitol that day. Imagine armed FBI agents showing up at your house because you supported Trump on Facebook and demanding records of your whereabouts on a date nearly two years ago. And of course, the FBI already knew that Lisa Gallagher was not there because they have sophisticated facial recognition software. So they were never planning to arrest her. The point, and this is a theme in every authoritarian regime, the point was to use government agents to intimidate enemies of the regime on the basis of an anonymous tip. Quote, I have never been so frightened in my life, Lisa Gallagher said. The rest of us should feel the same way. Snitches? Anonymous snitches? The secret police showing up at your door when you're in bed? 
This is Soviet, and there's no other word for it. But it's not just Lisa Gallagher. The same thing is happening to dozens, maybe scores of other supporters of the former president. Amy Kremer, for example, is a former Tea Party member and a candidate for the House of Representatives. She also obtained special permits for the National Park Service, which authorized Donald Trump's rally on January 6th, 2021. To be perfectly clear, Amy Kramer never went to the Capitol on that day. She never encouraged anyone else to go either. But for the crime of organizing a lawful political event, an election justice rally protected by the Constitution, FBI, Joe Biden's FBI need Amy Kramer's daughter's Instagram posts. Because this isn't about the events leading up to January 6th. Obviously, it's about mining all of her personal information. This is harassment on political grounds. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. It shocks the conscience of everyone who sees it. But the number of people who see it is very small because it is not covered by any media. And it's not just happening to Amy Kramer. This show has obtained a subpoena from Merrick Garland's DOJ issued in the past week. And what it demands is both unlawful and without precedent in American history. The subpoena claims to be investigating, quote, any claim that the vice president and or president of the Senate had the authority to reject or choose not to count presidential electors. Now, keep in mind that any claim you make as an American citizen about electors, any claim you make about American politics, period, is protected explicitly under the First Amendment. That's our core freedom. It's why we live here. It's why we're proud to be Americans. It's why so many American servicemen died protecting our country. Those are the freedoms that they fought to preserve. That's why nobody prosecuted leading Democrats in 2016 when they sought to reject electors for Donald Trump. Right. It's why none of those people, including Kamala Harris, is now in jail. But right now, according to the subpoena that we have obtained, Merrick Garland's DOJ is demanding all communication from the following people on this topic. And let's be clear before we read their names that it is not clear what the investigation is actually about. And that's the most terrifying part. What is this? On what grounds are you demanding my private communications with people? They never say. But included in this precedent-breaking sweep of political opponents of the Biden White House would be former White House advisor Bernie Carrick, who is the former police commissioner of New York City, Boris Epstein, who is the current attorney for Donald Trump. At no time in American history has it been okay to grab the personal communications of someone's lawyer because those are privileged. Not anymore. Matt Morgan, Justin Clark, Kenneth Chesborough, Mike Roman, RNC official Joshua Finley, Trump attorneys John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Joe DeGeneva, James Troupas, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Victoria Tenzing, Cleta Mitchell, Bruce Marks. We could go on and on and on and on. The DOJ is now going after former White House official Stephen Miller, frequent guest on this show with a subpoena. Why? Well, it could be because Stephen Miller went on this network and said, quote, if we win these cases in the courts, then we can direct the alternate state of electors are certified. In other words, he didn't call for an elect insurrection much less violence or a coup, he called for alternate electors to be seated if the court ordered them to be seated. In other words, 
he was following the constitutionally prescribed process post-election. He was doing what he's supposed to do. He was following the rules. But under Joe Biden, that apparently is now a crime. And by the way, every one of these people has to hire lawyers to defend him or herself. And a lot of them at this point, after two years of harassment by Joe Biden, can't afford it. In addition, we should say, we've obtained the subpoena. Uh, this subpoena goes on to demand the communications from dozens of other Republicans and people who have spoken to them, including State Representative Jake Hoffman in Arizona, Republican National Committee member Kathleen Burden in Michigan, former U.S. Representative Lou Barletta in the state of Pennsylvania, and Republican State Party Secretary James Graffenfreud in Nevada, among dozens and dozens of others. So what is this about? It can't possibly be about January 6th, the fake insurrection, the only insurrection. Each one of these individuals or to any person at whose house the FBI shows up is enormous. Ask anybody who's at the FBI showed up with guns at their home what that's like. By accusing these people of insurrection for asking questions about electors, by comparing them to Confederate soldiers, Merrick Garland's DOJ plans to disenfranchise them, if not jail them. Really? So prohibit people from participating in American politics in the name of democracy. Too ironic to be real? Oh, it's real. It just happened in New Mexico. A state judge in New Mexico just removed an elected county commissioner from office, overturning the will of the voters. Why? Because he had dared to exercise his constitutional rights by, by participating in the election justice protest on January 6th. So this is a full-blown political purge. That's not a talking point. It is not in any sense a conspiracy theory. It's completely real. And it began shortly after January 6th, and Republicans, as usual, just as they were after the death of George Floyd, were so blown back, so intimidated by the aggression of the rhetoric from the other side that they let it happen. And because they let it happen, as with the BLM riots, its effects are accelerating now. So if you're accused of supporting Joe Biden's political opponents, you could be visited by armed agents from Joe Biden's FBI. As we reported last year in our documentary, which was mocked, turned out to be prescient, it has happened to people living as far away as remote Homer, Alaska. It really felt like it was a violation of our space, definitely, to have people barge in, uninvited. You know, we gladly would have sat down and had a cup of tea with them and went, okay, what do you need? You don't have to tear my door down. You don't have to terrorize me with guns and handcuffs and all of that. I turned around, they cuffed me with my hands behind my back and put me in a chair. Initially, they would not present a search warrant. And then we ask, what is this about? What are you doing inside my house with guns and handcuffs? It never occurred to me they would actually think we had anything uh, to do with anything inside the Capitol because we never made it inside the Capitol. So why is this happening? Because no one pushed back against it. Why did the lunatics get to defund the police? Something that no normal person supported. The overwhelming majority of Americans never supported that, but they did it anyway. How'd they get to do that? Because there was no opposition. No one pushed back. George Floyd died, they started screaming, calling everyone a racist, and everyone just obeyed their most ludicrous demands. January 6th, exactly the same thing. It was an insurrection, it was a racist insurrection. No, it wasn't, what are you talking about? No one said that. No one pushed back at all. 
So it got completely out of control. And at this point, it's not just a threat to the Republican Party. On one level, a lot of conservatives say, well, who cares? Mitch McConnell's inconvenience? No one cares. That's not what it's about. It's a threat to the American system. This kind of behavior, politicized federal law enforcement, is a threat to democracy. It's a threat to the system we live under. It's a threat to everything we have that's valuable. We cannot allow this. But no one's even mentioning it. Lisa Gallagher, as we told you a moment ago, is one of the many Trump supporters who woke up to an FBI raid earlier this month. And we are grateful that she's willing to join us to tell us about it. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. So I, I just want to be clear that you have not committed a crime of any kind. I don't think you've ever been accused of a crime. You weren't even at the Capitol on January 6th. I don't think you're even in Washington. Tell us how you felt when Joe Biden's FBI showed up with guns at your home the morning after his speech. I was terrified, and I'll be honest with you, when my daughter woke me up telling me there were three armed FBI officers at my door, I thought she was joking. And I immediately tried to throw clothes on. I called my husband. I was crying. My knees were shaking. And even though I knew I'd done nothing wrong, after seeing Joe Biden's speech the night before, I thought, oh my God, this is political. And I was frightened. I truly thought, they can take me out of here in handcuffs. And I thought, I'm in my bedroom. I thought, am I not coming home? So I went outside and I said, gentlemen, you're scaring me. And they proceeded to tell me that they were given an anonymous tip that I was at the Capitol on January 6th. Even though, of course, as we said, they knew you weren't because they had facial It's all true. They look at people who own guns and say they're sick fucking people. Well, you know what's sick? U.S. prosecutors may negotiate plea deal with 9-11 architect. They're going to let him off. They're going to let him off. He's not going to have any jail time. But I want you to, this is all from Nick Cirque, Cersei. This is what happened to these three families. There are still people in jail from January 6th. It was uh, February 19th. Uh, 6.02 in the morning, I was asleep. I heard something, I woke up a little disoriented. So, so I started hearing this, this voice. The FBI, you have a federal search warrant for the property. Come out with your All occupants, and they list my address, and um, they said, this is the uh, FBI. We have a federal search warrant for your property. Come out with your hands up and nothing in your hands. And uh, immediately, I was just in disbelief. I thought, I was like, which one of my buddies is, is pulling this, this prank on me? But then I kind of see some lights flashing, reflections. So I'm like, okay. So I ran to the front of my house into a spare bedroom. I got uh, shutters. I opened the shutters. And I just saw um, one of those huge, like, Bearcat tactical vehicles that had the battering ram you know, mounted to the front, and it was pointed right at that window that I cracked, you know, cracked the shutters. And I shut them as fast as I could, and I'm like, okay, this is... My wife said she heard them before uh, before I heard them. I'm a very heavy sleeper. But what woke me up was a concussion grenade. Those things are, are really loud. Once I get into the area where the, the living room and the kitchen opens up, um, another flash thing went off on the side of my house and I could see the silhouettes of about 10, at least 10 on the side of my house. You could just see all the tactical gear and everything. When I got to the door, they called me by my, by Tony. Tony, this is the FBI, open up the door. And I opened up the blinds and I was like, oh, 
my dog was right next to me and he was going crazy. And I said, let me secure my dog, hold on. I said, if you don't open the door, we're gonna break in the front door. And I'm thinking, okay, if they take me away, I don't wanna leave this big hole in front of my house for my family. Right. At that point, the back um, sliding glass door breaks. They come in through that. And so I'm like, okay, they mean business. And I wasn't able to grab my dog and I opened up the front door and he went running out. And I said, don't shoot my dog, don't shoot my dog, he's a good dog. How long did it take your dog to come back? A week. So you, you got woken up in the midst of all this too? I was confused and my hearing was starting to come back and there was, it sounded like war. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. There was flat. If the government was concerned about my actions or behavior, somebody like me, who's not violent and has never been accused ever of anything violent, you would expect a phone call and very easy to track down. So in no way, shape or form was I expecting the FBI to scare me to death and break down my door mm -hmm. with 20 guys, a dozen guns, long, big machine guns pointed at me. It was so over the top. There's still no words to describe it. At what point were you contacted? <laughs> Um, by the, the scariest, most aggressive pounding on the door that I think I've ever heard, uh, preceded by the door being literally broken down and busted through in a matter of 60 seconds or so, um, with screams of FBI, FBI. It's not yelling. This is not like normal yelling. This is like screaming at the top of your lungs. It's like a, a death scream. It's so scary when it is. They're bursting in the door, and then like six feet from me is a big guy FBI, guns drawn. 10 or 12 people that rushed in immediately with automatic rifles and screaming at the top of their lungs like full you know, battle gear. That was pretty good. It was about twice that, that decibel, but like that, about twice that. Bigger, okay. But that was, that was quite loud. Yeah, yeah. It was very, about, yeah, that was close. Close to that, okay. And then what happened? Oh my God. Open the Oh my God. It's like, it's giving me, P it's like giving me PTSD. Like, honestly, yeah. it's like so scary. It was so, and I froze and I completely froze. And I leap up and I just kind of stood there. And then they're like, we're gonna break the door down. We're gonna break the door down. I'm like, hang on. And we're turning around to open the door and they broke the door down. And so then what? They just sort of, this is when they hands started. Hands up, hands up, hands up. Put your hands on the wall, hands on the wall. Turn around, turn around, turn around. Really scary. Really you were scary. right there and you turned around. It's basically right where Sarah is. It's not America. This isn't what we do. We were told we couldn't do this to Hillary. Hillary couldn't face charges for what she did. Nobody could go out to the IRS. We couldn't do anything. Military told to go on food stamps. We're sending billions overseas. Biden VA is undermining the law. You can't go to a private fucking doctor. We used to be able to. Can't anymore. That's taken off the table. That's why I can't get seen until October 31st. 31st. You got Dean Obadiah on Twitter. Terrorist or terrorist, be they Bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, or Trump's mega. That is fed whether you want it or not. You are you are going to be fed that shit.
Mediate. More than half the Republican House members of the next Congress will be election deniers, predicts 538. Election deniers. They still deny 2016. They still deny it. They've never stopped denying it. So, what are those? Anybody? The FBI video? They're just looking for you. It just affirms the reality of danger. Liz Cheney reacts to report about Trump pledging not to leave office after loss. Still Trump. Twitter election news fact checkers, Media Matter, and QAnon on all unreliable sources of information. They're saying that QAnon have killed people and making up shit. That's okay, though. Department of Justice is refusing to release 15 pages of documents explaining the Biden administration's strategy to implement a voter access policy that is being coordinated with left-wing groups just weeks before the 22 election. They won't release it because what they're doing is fortifying the election again. Did it before? You think they wouldn't do it again? Dick Durbin. Dem Illinois Senator Durbin now on the floor accusing GOP Texas Governor Abbott of just plain meanness to ship illegal immigrants to Illinois. And what is this bullshit right here? But there's a lot of people, and not just Republicans, that say we've just spent too much money. We did it during the pandemic, issued a lot of uh, uh, debt, debt, a lot of dollars, like the Fed did, a lot of programs. And then just this year, CHIPS Act. Uh, Inflation Reduction Act, student loan forgiveness, which I know you were in favor of. Any second thoughts whatsoever about maybe that's that's adding to the problems? And, you know, here we are. The Fed's got to basically orchestrate a recession, which hurts everybody, just sort of to deal with all the overspending we've done. Any truth to that in your view? Let, Let me just say this. There are a lot of people right now, Monday morning quarterbacking, Maybe it's Tuesday morning in this context, but uh, but they basically uh, shouldn't try to rewrite history. What we went through with the pandemic was unprecedented in the economy of America, a sustained period of time where there was a virtual timeout and a real question as to recovery. Look what's happened with the number of people, the number of jobs that have been created under this president uh, just in the last year and a half. Uh, and we see a lot of activity that is uh, encouraging. Yes, there are the fires of inflation, and American families are fighting them. But gasoline prices are coming down, thank goodness. Uh, and that's a good indicator for a lot of Americans that uh, they can have a little more confidence in the future of the economy. No, I look back on it, and I, I really believe that what we did was extraordinary, but the circumstances were unprecedented in our history. We had to sustain businesses and their employees during one of the most difficult periods in our history. Senator, I wonder if I could ask you about this looming potential uh, rail strike that we're... They never take a responsibility for anything. It's always... I heard her say one more time 
that the reason why the border's open is because Trump didn't finish the wall. And we all remember they wouldn't let him put money into the wall. He tried to use military money and they stopped him. Showtime is going to do a Lincoln Project docuseries. And let's remember, they're fucking pedophiles. I, I, why isn't this national news? That's a Honduras flag on our fucking fence. They don't even cover the fucking border. It's like it doesn't exist. And this guy right here who can't complete sentences... This is a video all over Twitter, and since the media only covers Twitter news, why is Fetterman still in the race? And I heard approximately a dozen or more what what clearly sounded like assault rifle uh, gunshots go off. Mayor John Fetterman says he rushed his son inside, called 911, and took off in his truck after a masked man in black he saw running. But Chris Mayeras, the man Fetterman confronted, turns out to be an innocent jogger who police say had no weapon. There wasn't any assault rifle shots. It was bottle rockets behind the library. Mayor Fetterman did have a weapon. A, a 20 gauge a shotgun uh, in, in the, under the back seat of my truck, which I pulled out and I, I showed to just say, look, we're going to wait here and we're going to get this all sorted out when the police arrive. Mayeras and the mayor tell very different stories. He says Fetterman followed me into North Braddock and pulled a shotgun and aimed it at my chest. Did you point the shotgun at him? No, I did not. I pointed it, you know, a way so uh, that he would see that I was armed, but I did not point it at him. In fact, I didn't even have a round chambered or the uh, remove the safety at that point. For both men, it was frightening. North Braddock's police chief says his officers tell him the shotgun incident was over when they arrived. Mieras says that's not true. The police tried to laugh it off. I mean, there's a mayor with a shotgun and six other cops surrounded me. What else can I do but this? I believe I did the right thing, but I may have broken the law during the course of it. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly not above the law if, if, if I did. But what I did, I did in a split second in a, out of uh, concern as the father and, and the mayor. He's trying to make it like it's okay. He's trying to justify what he did. That's fucking racist, yo. But it always comes back to our media. This guy's going to train people how to be a fucking, fucking piece of shit. Just a fucking piece of shit. So I'm going to play uh, our media bumps. We still can't say that the guy is a Democrat. We have one where they literally... No, let's do social media first. Here's somebody tearing up Twitter. And this is the YouTube CEO saying she's all about free speech. But you all know that that's a fucking lie. And why is this important? Because they're fortifying in the election again. Google won't give you what you're looking for. Facebook, Twitter, and fucking Instagram, everything is going to be censoring conservatives. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, members of the committee, I appear before you today to answer questions about information I submitted and written disclosures about cybersecurity concerns I observed while working at Twitter. My name is Peter Zatko, but I'm more often referred to by my online handle as Mudge. For 30 years, my mission has been to make the world better by making it more secure. From November 2020 until January 2022, I was a member of Twitter's executive team. In my role, I was responsible for information security, 
privacy engineering, physical security, information technology, and Twitter global support. I'm here today because Twitter leadership is misleading the public, lawmakers, regulators, and even its own board of directors. What I discovered when I joined Twitter was that this enormously influential company was over a decade behind industry security standards. The company's cybersecurity failures make it vulnerable to exploitation, causing real harm to real people. And when an influential media platform can be compromised by teenagers, thieves, and spies, and the company repeatedly creates security problems on their own, this is a big deal for all of us. When I brought concrete evidence of these fundamental problems to the executive team and repeatedly sounded the alarm of the real risks associated with them, and these were problems brought to me by the engineers and employees of the company themselves, the executive team chose instead to mislead its board, shareholders, lawmakers, and the public instead of addressing them. This leads to two obvious questions. Why did they do that? And what were the problems and vulnerabilities identified? And that's what I'm here to talk about. So first, why did they do that? To put it bluntly, Twitter leadership ignored, ignored its engineers because key parts of leadership lacked the competency to understand the scope of the problem, but more importantly, their executive incentives led them to prioritize profits over security. Upton Sinclair famously said, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. This mentality is exactly what I saw at the executive level at Twitter. So what are the problems I discovered? Two basic issues. First, they don't know what data they have, where it lives, or where it came from, and so, unsurprisingly, they can't protect it. And this leads to the second problem, which is the employees then have to have too much access to too much data and to too many systems. You can think of it this way, which is it doesn't matter who has keys if you don't have any locks on the doors. And this kind of vulnerability is not in the abstract. It's not far-fetched to say that employee inside the company could take over the accounts of all of the senators in this room. Given to the real harm, given the real harm to users and national security, I determined it was necessary to take on the personal and professional risk to myself and to my family of becoming a whistleblower. I did not make my whistleblower disclosures out of spite or to harm Twitter. Far from that, I continue to believe in the mission of the company and root for its success. But that success can only happen if the privacy and security of Twitter's users and the public are protected. In accepting an executive position at Twitter, I made a personal commitment to Mr. Dorsey, the board, the greater public, and myself that I would drive the changes needed at Twitter to protect the users, the platform, and democracy. That's what I'm continuing to do here today. I stand by the statements I made in my lawful disclosures, 
and I am here to answer any questions. In general, we want to enable political speech. So, um, like, when we do get requests that would involve suppression of political speech, that's a place where um, we're, we're um, very um, hesitant or resistant to removing it. There can be many different cases. So there could be, and that's why I say every case depends mm. upon what's happening. It could be if there's some risk of civil unrest or danger to citizens, that's something that we would certainly look at. Um, but in general, we want to be enabling um, we want to en enable people to express their points of view mm. um, and as enable as much free speech as we possibly can have. Mm. If you, for example, have a non-democratically elected government mm. and they're asking us to remove content that would be suppressing free speech of people who are being persecuted in some way, mm. that's a place where it would be, for example, of where it would be harder for us to to remove that content. Mm. We, would we would keep it up. There are... Uh, lines that we draw that we think are not don't make sense for us to have on our platform like adult content like that was like probably the first policy that was made mm -hmm. if we had enabled adult content it would have really changed what the nature of youtube is mm -hmm. uh so you know we look at um like many different important areas and we believe that it's important for us as a service we are paying for the hosting of the platform um, the distribution of that content you know we have an, we're an advertising supported content provider uh, if we have a lot of content that is seen as undesirable or not supporting society or not being responsible, um, we'll also see pullback from our advertising community. Mm. So, you know, we want to do the right thing, but we also, as a business, I believe, operate very differently than, say, the Internet as a whole, mm -hmm. where people can go and post their information. Mm. It's how they cook the books, boys and girls. It's how they make it work. That's how they got 81 million votes. You have total control of all media. You have total control of the DOJ. If these people win, it's going to be guns. They got to get the guns because they haven't done the guns yet. So now they're using choke point. You can't get money to build guns. And now you can't get money to sell guns. Pretty much sums it up. We're going to do a quick media montage with NBC Marathon of Flotus. Why is she interviewed so much, you ask? Well, that's because she is the fucking president, for fuck's sake. As stated, that they will not call the killer of the journalists in, New in Las Vegas a fucking Democrat because, yeah, why would they? And a great soundbite where Avalon and company have to actually eat crow because they all ran with BYU because why wouldn't you think that people are calling? I mean, if we're the most racist country in the world, of course people are using the N-word. The killing of a Las Vegas reporter and the suspect, a county official who was the subject of a series of articles by that journalist. And tonight here, a co-worker of that county official now speaking out. Here's Ariel Reshef. Tonight, the Las Vegas politician officially charged with murdering a longtime investigative journalist appearing in court. Your Honor, yes, thank you. Authorities say Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tayas was seen here dressed in disguise before fatally stabbing reporter Jeff Gehrman after an altercation. DNA recovered from the victim's hands under his fingernails. They do identify the DNA of the defendants. Gehrman behind several scathing articles about Teus's alleged toxic workplace behavior. And now one of Teus's former co-workers, Rita Reed, telling ABC News she and colleagues went to Gehrman with their story. So we decided that we would go public. We would try to talk to a journalist 
here in our community and see if somebody felt it was worthy of reporting. Reed decided to run against Tayus in the Democratic primary and won. She says ultimately Gehrman's commitment to journalism cost him his life. He was our hero. I mean, we can never thank him enough. And we reached out to Tayus's attorney. So far, they're not commenting. His lawyers asking the court for a delay. So far, he is being held behind bars. We're going to the latest now on the killing of a Las Vegas journalist over a critical article he wrote. The co-worker of the Las Vegas official accused of the crime is speaking out. The politician set to face a judge today and overnight in a new criminal complaint. Prosecutors calling this crime willful, deliberate and premeditated. Now one of the suspect's colleagues is sharing what she says he was like in the workplace before the journalist's death. This morning, a Las Vegas politician now formally charged with murdering an investigative journalist as one of his former co-workers speaks out to ABC News about what she says she witnessed in the workplace before her boss was charged with the crime. And I realized that, that it was true and that Jeff had been found murdered. My first thought was Robert Tayus. And then I thought, no, it couldn't be. Until his arrest last week, Rita Reed served for three years in the office alongside Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tayus. She says as a boss, Tayus caused emotional stress and created a hostile work environment. Reed says she became so appalled by his behavior, she ran against Tayus in the Democratic primary. And she and her co-workers approached longtime Las Vegas Review Journal investigative reporter Jeff Gehrman with their allegations. So we decided that we would go public. We would try to talk to a journalist here in our community. Now, we certainly didn't hear McCarthy saying anything like that uh, for some of the comments that Donald Trump has made. Uh, but is he correct that he that when Biden used this language, that he basically accused all Republicans uh, with a similar brush? Or did you think that he actually hit the right tone? Um, I think he correctly identified a strain within MAGA, MAGA world. I mean, it, there, there are very few words to describe what Republicans are doing. Like I mentioned, book bans, um, having students turn in teachers for wokeism. I mean, really chilling stuff, stuff you see in, in fascist countries uh, re Republicans have adopted. So there's no real other way to say it. And I think Biden was very careful in his speech yesterday to um, specify who he was talking about and say it's not all Republicans. It's not all Trump supporters. Look, you and I know Republicans, Sarah. We know Trump supporters. They're not all um, attached to this version of Trumpism. But the party's going in a very bad place. And more and more candidates that are running um, all across the country for really important positions like secretaries of state and attorneys general uh, want to do some really dangerous things. So, listen, I think he was going to get blamed for, you know, and take some heat for using correct words to describe what's happening. Uh, but he he was, it was such a great conversation. I should say we met at an elementary school in Knoxville, Tennessee. Aww. The first lady is an educator. You know, I love my educators. She actually continued teaching even while in the White House. And she's become a champion for her fellow teachers and school kids. When you complimented her on her classroom, mm -hmm. I thought about my mom who just retired. And that was one of her highlights every year was decorating her classroom. And I thought about it in that moment. There's something 
thing that happens sometimes between that second year mm -hmm. teacher and women like my mother. What do we do for those teachers in the middle who feel either burned out or they want to quit? What's your message to them? Stay with us. Stay here. We need you. You know, some days are good, some days are bad, but overall, it's a profession like no other. On Monday, Dr. Biden teamed up with Pinterest to surprise teachers at the school. What do you think? Gifting them a new teacher's lounge, intentionally designed to help them recharge. You're a teacher. You're also a grandmother. Yeah. And there's a wedding that's happening yes. soon with Naomi. Yes. So how do you prepare for a wedding in the White House? That sounds like a dream, first step of all. Step by step. <laughs> so we're taking it slowly. And uh, I've been in on uh, most of the meetings and watched her just blossom. And really, there's just such joy about it. And I, I cannot wait. Last month, you tested positive for COVID, mm. not once, but twice. Yes. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, really. How did you pass the time? Well, you know, I'm an English teacher. Yes. I love to read. So I was reading so many books, articles that I could use in my class. And I watched a lot of Netflix. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, like every other American who had to isolate. We're, we're starting something a little different today. It's a new segment that updates the initial official version of the story once more facts come in. It's a form of journalistic accountability, and we're going to call it Upon Further Review. Now, volleyball is rarely the source of serious controversy, but it went straight to the front of the Outrage Olympics two weeks ago when a Duke starter named Rachel Richardson made the explosive accusation that she and other black teammates were subjected to racist heckling while playing a game against Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University offered a wholehearted apology. BYU Athletics pronounced a zero-tolerance policy against racism. They banned a fan who'd been identified as making the racist slurs. They also launched an internal investigation. But that's where the narrative started to fall far short of the initial indignation. Because when BYU released its findings, after reviewing all available video and audio recordings and reaching out to more than 50 folks who attended the game, including Duke personnel and athletes, they stated that they had not found any evidence to corroborate the allegation that fans engaged in racial heckling or uttered racial slurs. They also invited anyone with, quote, evidence contrary to our findings to come forward. Now, healthy skepticism is always a virtue, but this doesn't read like a cover-up. Instead, it feels like there was a rush to judgment because of a well-intentioned impulse to believe the Duke players' accusations. But when investigations turn up a very different fact pattern, it's incumbent upon everyone to acknowledge it and adjust. Fidelity to the facts is all that we as journalists and citizens should ask. It's understandable that there's a desire to believe people when they say they've been victimized. But the accusations have to be backed up by facts. And when the facts don't fit, upon further review, we need to set the record straight. It's like a moth to light. They just, that Essie Cup thing, she used to be a fucking conservative. But she ain't no more. Noah Bloom. I spoke to the outgoing library director and the storm is upon us has not been banned, but might have been one of the banned book lists circulating. I'm leaving this up because the danger of arbitrary and capacious book bans is real. We need to know this is happening. Noah Bloom to reply to that. Everyone who claims to be focused on conspiracies have promoted at least one conspiracy theory in the past four years. Shit like this, for instance. Focus on conspiracy theories. He starts dogging people because they're talking about the laptop. 
after everything proven that it was false to USA Today. A young black woman named Rachel Richardson is a victim, but she's also more than that. She's a hero surrounded by a lot of people who failed her because it's true. The BYU instance is true. We're, we're not going to say it's not going to say it's true because that's what we do. We, we, we do not go with facts. We go with, well, it probably does happen because America's fucking garbage. I mean, that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It's garbage. It's all fucking garbage. I Sometimes I do podcasts and I get really angry. But I can't even get angry off this one. This is who they are. We've known this. They were like this always. It's just now they have a media platform to be as fascist as they fucking want to. And it's unconscionable that this is where we're at. So so I can mock people and feel better about myself. Here's your sign. Let's do some trans shit. Hey, Blue. Look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. I'm angry. What's going to happen to the kids and the youth? And there's so many, like, there's so many people who regret this. There's more and more and more coming out and younger too. On puberty blockers that been on puberty blockers. And, you know, I read one that, you know, I think he went on uh, puberty blockers at 16 and now he's like 20 or 21. And he's, he is like suicidal because his penis won't grow anymore. Like it does damage. Ugh. It makes me so angry. And what we're going to get is a generation that's screwed up. That are screwed up in like 10, 15 years. Wait, not even. I think it's going to, it's, uh, it's getting, it's accelerating quite quickly. When we get 30, 40 year olds that are going to be like, what the fuck did I do? when I was 16 or whatever, like, and you can't go back. You can't go back. I'm not, I'm sad for myself, of course, not in a victim kind of way, but in like, I need to, this process of mourning who I was is touch and go. So, but I'm sad for humanity and the children and what's going to happen when they're screwed up. We're going to see what's going to happen. And I really, really hope that all these professionals get their friggin' karma because I know that some of them don't realize and some of them might be brainwashed and whatever, but some of them know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Cash cowin. 
Okay, so first of all, I will say that the process, the journey is ongoing and probably will be for potentially her entire life. But here's how it started. So she was uh, designated, assigned, observed male at birth. And until about 18 months, didn't really, you know, know too much, just kind of was raising two kids, working full time, not really paying attention to what was going on. And at around 18 months, started she started showing signs of like really being interested in things that her sister had and had in her closet and wanting to play dress up and wanting to put on lip gloss. And when she would see fingernails, she would want her fingernails painted too. And, you know, we just, we thought it was cute. No issue. We had no issue with, you know, her wanting to do those kinds of things. Um, and then around the age of two, things started to progress at a quicker pace. And so each time that we would go to pick her up from preschool, she was fully outfitted in dresses and jewelry. And so I will say I was super stoked that we had such a wonderful childcare center that she was in because she was allowed to, you know, experiment with her gender and play dress up and do those kinds of things and have access to them. So when I would go to pick her up from preschool, like I said, she would be dripping in, you know, just jewelry and clicky shoes and all kinds of stuff. And getting her to take that off to go home was usually a pretty gnarly struggle. Uh, and then around the age of four, she started wanting to wear like leggings and headbands. She had this one headband she was completely attached to that she felt, I, I look back on it now and think to myself, gosh, I wonder when she put that, that headband on, she thought to herself, people see me for who I am. No one's going to misgender me now. Um, and so it, it progressed. It just kept moving in that direction with more and more things that started showing more and more signs. Um, she would say, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be a girl. And we were kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. And my husband and I would be like, we got we to gotta figure this thing out. And so kind of for that final test, my husband decided, you know what? We're going to figure this thing out. We're, we're going we're gonna to tap into this and see what happens. So he said, you know, I'm going to coach a t-ball team and I want her to be on it. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. Well, that didn't go over so well. She not only hated t-ball, she hated the uniform. She hated the hat. We found everything in the trash multiple times. Um, she was, a, you couldn't get her out the door uh, to go play on Saturday mornings. And so uh, eventually I thought at one point, well, okay, well, what if I let you wear your leggings and a tank top underneath and we can, as soon as the game's over, you can take your uniform off. And she was like, okay. So she wore the headband. She didn't wear the hat. She wore the headband. She wore the clothes underneath her uniform and she would go to the game and she would stand there. And as soon as it was like game over, she would rip those clothes, you know, that uniform off and stand and proud in her tank top and her leggings. Um, and very shortly after that, she told us she was a girl and we believe her. You gotta go out to the people who not directly affected. Yeah, if you're gonna throw a brick. Yeah, <laughs> oh, at the people that I can actually be looking yeah. Yeah. This time, I think, like a good two months. Yeah. Because I'm like, how are they organized? Like, what's their purpose? My kids, we don't stand up for the point. Our undercover journalist met up with middle school English teacher, Arian Franco. How did you approach them? Like this time, I think, like a good two months. Because yeah. I'm like, how are they organized? Like, what's their purpose? Yeah. You know, like the ones that work, what did they do? Being loud. Oh, what's that? Being loud. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I told my students. I was like, guys, there's strategic ways to do this. You wanna, if, um, and I brought up like crazy, like, organizations that have done this like they chose which places to 
throw bricks to me. Yeah. They didn't do it to the, you know, to the black and brown community. Yeah. That's, like, doing it to our own community just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You gotta go out to the people who are not directly affected. Yeah, if you're gonna throw a brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at the that, I can actually get in the yeah. yeah. My kids, we don't stand up for the point. I'm a PLA teacher, we break it down. Yeah. Every line in the point. At one point, when I first started challenging it, I had my kids change the way. I think we added at the end, and we will fight for those who, uh, who just don't want to check. Yeah. Like that. We added to it, because it's like, I'm living the justice for all. Yeah. And we will fight until that is true. And how do you think kids can fight though? Because sometimes they feel powerless to fight. Well, they can't first, vote. The first thing is to be able to be a critical thinker. Yeah. Challenge your parents. Yeah. Challenge the adults that you need. Yeah. Ask questions. Yeah. I used conversation. to meet when the first when BM, like, in the BLM. You used to meet, what now? I used to meet. Meet. And, and the class? Away, but like, yeah, I would Would the students do it? Um, I disagree with this and I still think it's uh, harmful to trans people. You can still have biological children with a trans partner in the same way that like two lesbians can have a biological child. Two gay men can have a biological child. Yes, it's a lot harder to have biological children when you're not in a cishet relationship, but it's still possible. Is it expensive? Yes. But that's something that I feel like a lot of people in the LGBT community go through if they want kids. I don't. I know. I'm too poor to have children. But for my LGBT people that do want to have kids and you want a loving partner to have those children with, I feel like you still shouldn't be discriminating against your partner if they're trans when looking for a partner. It still feeds into this stigma that trans people are not their gender when they are. A trans man is a man, and a trans female is a female. It just makes the community more loving and accepting. Man, there were so many teachers in that guy's comment section that said that their district won't allow them to ask students for their pronouns. So, here is a little workaround. This is an icebreaker I called Call Me, because I'm bad at naming things, that I used with my second graders this year. So we sat in our community circle and went around the circle and introduced ourselves. And our introductions sounded like this. My name is Miss Parker, and when you talk about me, you can call me she. They went around, they did the same thing, they were very giggly, um, but afterwards we talked about why that's important. Now, all of my kids go by pronouns that match the gender they were assigned at birth, but one of my little boys has long hair and we talked about how it gets really frustrating when people call him she because they see him from behind and think he's a girl. One of my little girls said that she had shaved her head one year for lice and people kept calling her he and it made her really sad. So we kind of framed it in that way. You might not know who someone is or what they want to be called by just looking at them. So hope that helps. <laughs> I got us donuts. Those are so bad for you. Oh no, are they moldy? I mean, no. are they poisoned? Do, are you allergic? No, I'm just saying. Mm. You're judging my food choices based on a false standard of health again, aren't you? Guilty. Diet culture, fatphobia, and systems of oppression have created false hierarchies of food and it shows up everywhere. For instance, harmful thought patterns like earning food through exercising or that dessert is the reward for the punishment of eating vegetables. Remember that you do not need to earn food. We are all incorrectly taught from a young age that our size and therefore the foods that we eat are markers of our self-worth. Moralizing food can lead to harmful relationships of food and disordered eating. Instead of focusing on good and bad choices, 
Try to approach food with neutrality in mind. The only foods that are bad for you are foods that contain allergens, poisons, and contaminants. Or food that is spoiled or is otherwise inedible. Eat without guilt regardless of what society says. Conservatives always talk about how teachers need to like keep their private lives private and they shouldn't be talking about like gender and sexuality with their students. Bro, you know, want to know what happened on my first day of my new school three days ago? A kid came up to me after the end of class and asked my pronouns. I had forgot to put them in my little like get to know me slide at the beginning of the period. So this was new. I didn't even give any signs. I mean, I gave a couple signs, but like, come on, what was I supposed to do? Lie. And then they asked more and I said like, yeah, I'm bi. And they've now spread this rumor so much that students who I don't even teach are coming to my room all the way at the end of the hallway just to say hi, Rami, and then leaving. What am I supposed to do? I'm sorry, conservatives. I'm not forcing it down their throats. If anything, they're forcing it down mine. <laughs> I love a bold eye and I love bold hair and I love bold glasses and I love just living loud and proud and out and like to me this is this is my art this is like my queer art that I just exist colorfully every day and um I love a bold eye but here's one place you should not wear a bold eye you should not wear a bold eye when you're going to hear Mike Curato give a talk about this book, because um, if you do, then there's a strong chance that you might cry and have like a Tammy Faye Baker moment. Um, but then on the plus side, if you do, and then you have a chance to speak with Mike Curato after, um, then he just might commemorate that Tammy Faye Baker moment for you. So um, long story short, if you are going to wear a bold eye, then you should wear a fixative. Thank you, Mike Curato, for that. But also, kids need to feel seen. What's up? My name is Lex. I'm a nurse and future nurse practitioner living in Florida. And today, I want to talk about gender-affirming care. Now, if you know me, you know that working around non-binary and trans people, specifically youth, is my passion. That is what I want to dedicate my career to. And if you don't know me, there's your intro. Now. I know this topic is one that we've probably all heard in the news cycle. Um, it is something that is being heavily focused on right now, specifically by conservatives. There's a lot of misinformation being spread and there's a lot of questions. So um, one thing I kind of want to do is back us up and talk about the people that this conversation is centered around, and that is trans people and trans kids. Um, when we talk about trans kids, we are talking about children and adults who are living in a body that they do not identify with. We are talking about a group of people who statistically experience much higher rates of mental illness and much higher rates of successful suicide attempts. And that is really the core focus here because when we talk about saving lives and how gender affirming care saves lives, that's the thing that we're talking about. We're talking about allowing people to live in a body that they are able to do their day-to-day -day life in. Now, I will say a lot of the people who have a lot to say on this topic have never even stopped to have a conversation with a trans child or a trans person by any means. Now, within the realm of gender affirming care, there are two routes that we can kind of go. Um, there are puberty blockers, which are medications that will stop the body from going through the biological matched puberty, which when we talk to trans people and when we listen to the experiences that they've had, they have 
all pretty much reverberated the same thing, that puberty is one of the most triggering things that a trans person can go through in a body that they do not identify with. So we have medications that can actually delay that process from starting. And then there also is HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy in the form of either testosterone injections, testosterone gel, um, hormone implants that you can get. Um, and then estradiol is um, the main estrogen source that is normally prescribed. You'll see anywhere from two to four to six milligrams on a daily dose. Now it depends on the surgeon, but most of the time surgeons will want patients to be on hormones for a certain chunk of time before they start going through with um, gender affirming surgery. Um, the surgery is a completely different ball game. And alongside surgery, one thing I always really like to touch on is the fact that there are plenty of things we can do outside the OR to um, enhance gender euphoria in someone's aesthetics. It's a fucking cult, man. This fucking shit's a fucking cult. It, 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 every week I play that, I'm just, I am blown the fuck away with how crazy it's getting. That got canceled, thank God. Oh, this fucking shit is scary, man. Just scary. I think I fucked all these up, didn't I? Yeah, I did. I thought I had more slides. Well, sorry about that. I fucked it up. We'll go back. What happened to this one? Hold on a second. This one, I got to cover this one. Somehow it didn't get saved. This right here, which I thought I saved it. Oh, hmm. Somehow we're fucked up. So we're going to do this live. It's going to look weird, but that's okay. I'm going to fix it by just doing this boom and i'm gonna come back and do this i didn't scoop up any of these that sucks that's probably why there we go now we're good now we're cooking with crisco that is another cabinet member on the obiden uh, the obiden which is pretty accurate meet dimitri dezaka Appointed Joe Biden to be the official White House national monkeypox because he probably fucking has it. And because they just can't stand losing, this guy thinks this is great. He's running for office. And when asked, what's a woman? Because they brought it up, they wouldn't do it. Fuck off, transphobe. They came up with another one. There's a new definition, which is a um, across-the-board they, they rolled it out this week. I don't have a slide for it. It is anybody who believes they're a female is a woman. That's, that's their new thing. City of Boise canceled this because they thought, well, you know, we got to do this Twitter shit. But then their customers went, go fuck yourself. And so now they canceled their sponsorship. That's a good thing. Um, here's another one. And I got one on there with the, the uh, detransitioners. Media doesn't want to cover this because this is what's happening to them. They're suicidal. You can't take hormones. You just can't. 
It fucks you up. It makes you mentally worse. And then this was all over the internet this week because at a Liberty University, University, which is a religious thing, this lady said this and it became a huge thing on Twitter. It's fun to be here. It's fun to have a big family. Who who here has who who here has at least eight there's eight kids in your family? Yeah, right? There's a there's some breeders here. All right. I love it. I love it. The Lord says be fruitful and multiply. We're doing the job. So, all right. Can't joke if you're religious. They they didn't like that breeder thing. Yeah, that's great. This was another one that went all over the liberal web. And once again, we have just spent a whole week talking about colonialism. And I listened to Matt Walsh, and I was kind of blown away. I, I don't really like him, but I listened to it anyway. And he talked about liberal colonialism and how the libs now force their morals, values, and belief structure on everybody. And here's a case with Christiana Amanpour. Kenya doesn't believe in homosexuality. Well, I guess her colonialism made her believe that she could tell them they were wrong. I want to talk to you about a specific, you know, human rights situation in parts of Africa and including in your own country. You yourself gained worldwide attention a few years ago when you said there was, quote, no room for homosexuality in Kenyan society. I want to know whether you still stand by that. We have um, Kenyan law. We have Kenyan constitution. We have our tradition. We have our customs. We will continue to respect other people's customs as they respect our customs and our tradition. I am very clear. I am very clear that we respect everybody and what they believe in. But we also have what we believe in, and we expect to be respected for what we believe in. So before I ask you to flesh that out and what exactly does it mean, I want to play you what President Kenyatta said to me about this issue. I will not engage in a subject that is of no, it's, uh, it, it is not of any major importance to the people and the Republic of Kenya. This is not an issue, as you would want to put it, of um, human rights or this. This is an issue of society, of our own base as a culture, as a people, regardless of which community you come from. This is not acceptable. This is not agreeable. So he's basically saying homosexuality is not agreeable. You've just said that you're kind of trying to thread the needle, that the law says one thing, but you respect everybody's rights. Will a Ruto administration crack down, like many other leaders in Africa, on the homosexual LGBTQ community? Or will you allow them their human rights and their civil rights? I think on that subject, President Kenyatta was spot on. We do not want to create a mountain out of a molehill. This is not a, a big issue for the people of Kenya. When, the people of, when it becomes a big issue for the people of Kenya, the people of Kenya will make a choice. 
as it is now, we are grappling with five million young people who do not have jobs, four million people who are hungry, and that is my concern. That is the focus of the people of Kenya at the moment. When the issue you have discussed about homosexuality and the rights of LGBT will come, the people of Kenya will make a choice and we will respect the choice of the people of Kenya. For now, Christian Amanpo, let us focus on the real issues that affect our people. As you know, Mr. President, with respect, these are real issues that affect so many people around the world. But we will hold you to what you said and we'll come back to you um, if, the, if the situation requires it, which no problem. probably it will. Who the fuck are you to tell them? Home Depot is teaching pronouns now. Yeah, Home Depot. That's just fucking fantastic. Fantastic. Arizona State Superintendent Kathy Hossman is now being sued after it was discovered the Department of Education website directed kids to hyper-sexualize chat rooms. And here's the bite. Arizona's Superintendent of Public Instruction, Democrat Kathy Hoffman, is being sued for directing minors to hyper-sexualized chat rooms. Parents were shocked to learn that these chat rooms were easily accessible on the Arizona Department of Education's website. A quick search takes students to Queer Chat or QChat, a site where adults communicate with minors about sexuality. QChat makes clear that the adults on the site are not mental health professionals. Seemingly, the only requirement for adults to be part of QChat is to be LGBTQ+, and to have an interest in talking to curious minors. The site draws children in with chat room topics like Marvel or Star Wars, but features rooms to discuss sex and relationships. QChat even has a quick escape feature that allows students to conceal the website from their parents. Even worse, the site doesn't tell students not to share their personal information. QChat is a sexual predator's dream, and Democrat Kathy Hoffman is using your tax dollars to push it onto our children. This November, let's fire Kathy Hoffman and remove her dangerous woke views from our schools. Woke Department of Defense Equity Chief Kesis Wing is a fucking racist. Just a racist. Vice. Police dogs were invented by slavers. Now they're used by cops. So now dogs are racist. Okay. That, that works, I guess. Derogatory term for Native women removed from 50 Oregon landmarks. The new head of uh, Interior, who is a racist, the one with the land acknowledgement we covered in the beginning, she is doing this as an initiative cross-country. And then, finally, huge article about libraries are going woke. Yeah, that's, that's fucking fantastic. So... We're going to do a This Is America. Here are two sound bites on the polar opposite scale. One is what you see all the time, the first one, where pro-choice people cried. 
And the other one is on even Dr. Phil is scared of the mob because he he doesn't want to fuck around with people who aren't pro-choice. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Lifelong Republican Jessica Leach was devastated when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. I cried for weeks. I cried for my daughter. I always considered myself pro-life. Now she changed her mind and her party. Jessica got pregnant at 19 and visited an abortion clinic to weigh her options. She decided to have her son, who's now 17, and says being able to make that choice is something every woman deserves. What do you say to people who think your story is an example of why abortion shouldn't be an option? I would tell those people that until recently, um, it was always a hypothetical. I would beg them to understand that having these options paved the way for me to be a good mother. In Michigan, residents will vote on a ballot referendum in November that would enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution. You're a doctor. Incumbent Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer is also up for re-election. What is at stake in this election and in the, the ballot referendum? Well, abortion and the right to be a full American citizen with agency over your body is on this ballot. Her views are also shaped by her experiences. In college, in the days after I was raped, it dawned on me, oh my God, I, I might be pregnant. And the only thing that gave me a little bit of relief is knowing that I could make a decision that was right for me if that happened. Her opponent, Republican Tudor Dixon, supports banning abortion with no exception for rape or incest. I wonder if you could just talk a bit more about your own views and talk to people who are worried about your views being too extreme. I have shared my own pro-life story. I lost a baby at 18 weeks. When I lost the baby, the doctor said this baby probably died in the womb. There is nothing you could possibly say to justify that level of lack of empathy. And that's the problem I feel like in this country at the moment, we were founded on the lack of empathy and we've just kept up with that tradition. If, if you have no empathy. Uh, abortion is devastating for, to women's mental health. No one talks about that. The year after a woman has you an abortion. It's really like the, the year after a woman to have the child. The, what kind of trauma is the that? Trauma that is the, the trauma is from the rape. The trauma is from the rape. The child's an innocent party there. The child is not born yet. It's not there. We, we should not take out generational sin on a child to say there's generational sin and that dad was but an abuser the so the child should be killed. At this That's rate. not We're fair to the child. We're talking about rights. And he just yes. said, we've been taken, a right has been taken away from us. And what is next? I want to address that because our fundamental human right that we all share in this room is life. It's the first human right. Laws are meant to protect the weak. In a society, who's the weakest? Who's the weakest in a society? A child. The poor. They don't have a voice. They can't speak. A child the poorest, in the room. That's or weak. A, but poorest, a poor child would be the weakest. And we're going to keep them that way by and a, making them And a child with disability. Listen, kids. whether you live 10 minutes or 10 years or 100 years, you're a human life and you have the right to not be killed. And that's what the pro-life fight is all about. That's what we're fighting for, a culture of life where we provide real health care. You know, abortion is the intent. 
There are more people who believe in restrictions on abortion than there are not, but you'll never hear that. And I close on what I always close about how we've gotten this media, law enforcement, everything's a fucking cult. This is a lady who is a blue check. I don't have a Biden flag, don't have Biden pants, a Biden dress, or Biden cape. I don't need to camp out in a field for five days eating questionable eggs, salad out of a cooler waiting for Biden to speak. I don't do any of that shit because I'm not an idiot. I'm not in a cult. She's then asked, I'm guessing Biden smells like cedar, vanilla, and aqua velva. Can you confirm, Joe? He smelled like the warmest cup of cocoa on a perfect snowstorm night when the cable is out and the lights flicker and your kids want you to play with them after not wanting that forever. And the house is abuzz with excitement and connectedness connectedness, sorry, and love and nostalgia. He smells like that. That is what I like to call a cult. And it's been the overlying truth to all of this. They call mega people cultists because they worship Trump. The very people, our media, who did his last press briefing saying it was an honor to cover him. That's what they said because they loved Obama. They loved him. They love Biden in his ice cream. They love Hillary in her pantsuits. They love Clinton for getting blowjobs off interns. We're in this world where they forget what they did. They forget questioning every election in my lifetime. They forget the DOJ being part of it and the FBI being crookedly linked to it. And now they sick the apparatus on people who won't agree with them on whether dudes with dicks have babies or we should have open borders, or that people who murder people should be released with a free phone and money and go back and murder somebody the next day. We had a civil war over slavery. I am shocked we don't have one now. Because the people running this country right now are the antithesis of Americans. They don't even share the same morals and values as normal people. They're Twitter folk. It's 10%. 10% of the country, 90% of that 10 is all liberal. That's what our news is. That's what's important. It gets people fired. But the priorities and the cooking the books, I mean, we're talking about a guy who questioned an election, just like Hillary, just like Abrams, but you are now cooking another election. You're fortifying it. You're ensuring there's no way you can lose. They're behind the scenes doing the same shit they did last time. They're cooking the books. This should be a red wave. They've already started. It's not going to be a red wave. They already started. The Senate's going to hold. They already started. The Now the House is going to hold. All over abortion. New York Times ran this week an article. It's a mirage. They're not going to listen. 
in that article, they said what I always say. It's liberally biased, 10 to 20 points. So, of course, it comes out Democrats are going to win. They do polls of non-registered voters or people who aren't going to vote. At least YouGov asks, are you going to vote? Then you get the questions. If you don't, this, this survey is not for you because they want voters. They are the fascists. If you say over and over your enemy, your, your opposition is your enemy. They are enemy of the states. Why do you think they wouldn't cheat? That's why most of us don't believe the 2020 election. It isn't because Trump said it. It's because we watched it with our eyes. A guy in a basement got 81 million votes. They stopped. They changed 80 voting laws. And when you saw 100,000 at a time votes just for Biden. And you spent four years saying Donald Trump was a threat to life, the planet. You brainwash people and they are scared. That's why our media, if you go to any website, it's Trump, 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 Trump. All the time about Trump. Because if they can keep Trump and January 6th in there, they believe they can get their people to go out and vote. And they're already saying he's going to steal it. The very same people who pumped millions of dollars and got most of the election deniers elected. And I don't even think Republicans aren't attacked to it. Look at Lindsey Graham. Why the fuck would you bring up a ban on abortion after 20 weeks in an election year? Why would you do that if you didn't want to ensure that was something to vote on? It's not Republican and Democrat. It's establishment and non-establishment. We, the normals, want anybody that'll just get the job, make our life better. We don't care what their party affiliation is. We just want somebody to do the fucking job. These people, they want the institution to reign. And to do that, they'll let the other side win. They're not going to lose their power. They're sitting in seats they can't lose. They're locked in tired than Dick's hat band. So, that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with friendly and friends. Go to FOPPodcast.com where you can find everything. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We're going to shoot out a podcast on the 18th, Sunday, 18th of September, year of our Lord, 2022. Until then, thank you for listening, folks, and you take care.